Today's scripture reading comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The word of the Lord. Good morning again, everyone. My name's Eric, one of the pastors here at Trinity, and each Sunday, I, I love our music. Our musicians are so talented, uh, but for me, when, when there's a banjo, it's always special. I know I, I always mention it. I can't help myself. It's because, partly because my grandpa was a banjo player, so I'm not going to say, Darian, you remind me of my, my grandpa. Probably wouldn't take that as a compliment. But the banjo reminds me of my grandpa. Um, good morning again, everyone. We just started a new series in um, the book of Colossians, the letter to the Colossians. We're calling it First. The title from the series is taken from Colossians 1, verse 18. If you have your Bible, you could check it out. But there, Paul says, This is. The purpose of the resurrection, this is the implication that Jesus is risen from the dead. It's so that he can have first place in everything. It might say preeminence in your translation. That's, that's the big purpose. That is uh, the call for the church to show what that looks like, to pursue it, to ask the question, what does it mean that Jesus has first place in everything? How is it that who Jesus is, and what he has done is sufficient for everything we need, and how is Jesus meant to be supreme over everything in our lives? That's, those are the big themes. Those are the things we're going to be talking about throughout our series. This morning, we're in our second message. We're looking, as we just heard, at Paul's prayer to begin the letter, and I'm calling it a prayer for life to the fullest in Jesus. This idea of fullness is a major theme. We're going to see this come up throughout the book and the letter um, to, to the Colossians, this idea of fullness. Nine times it's mentioned in this short letter. So I want to start with a little bit of an exercise. There's a picture. My man in the booth, Gavin, is going to get that picture up for us. I'm sure we've all seen this. This is a gas gauge in our car, and it measures, obviously, whether our gas tank is, is more full or more empty. This morning, or at any given time in our lives as people, we are, I think, somewhere on the full or empty scale in the gauge of our hearts. Fullness, fullness, life. Are we living life to its fullest? Then our gauge is there towards the F, like the gauge in that picture. Are we somewhere in between, halfway filled up, 
or are we more towards empty, where we're feeling more of what we're lacking, what we want in life, what's absent in our lives? Where are you this morning? If you were to gauge yourself, it's good for us to check our gauges regularly. How many of you have ever run out of gas? Oh, only like six of you. I don't want to admit it. I've come close, but somehow I've never run out of gas, even though I'm very absent-minded. I guess I'm just like anal about that kind of thing. Sometimes that's how life is. It's like when we run out of gas in our cars, that we're just driving along and all of a sudden we're stalled out. We're stopped. We can't go any further. We didn't realize it, but it's because we weren't checking our gauge. And it's good to check our gauge regularly. Colossians, the letter was written to to newer Christians. They had found this new faith. It had brought change. It had impacted their lives. They were seeing how it was making sense of things for the first time. But at the same time, as they were growing, as they were experiencing change, they were also at the same time experiencing still this sense of emptiness. And they were a little surprised by that. I thought Jesus changed the world. I thought he changes everything. I thought he changes me. But they were still struggling with this sense of that they were missing out. And there were some people, there were some teachers who were there in the community and said, you know why you are still struggling with emptiness? It's because Jesus is good, but you need to move on and you need to add something on to Jesus. You need to supplement to Jesus. He's just a part of what you need. One of the most well-known things that the philosopher Blaise Pascal wrote in his book, The Pensées, has to do with this theme of fullness. And I have uh, the quote in the selection. It's also there for you in your bulletin. He wrote about this experience of missing out. He said, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. He's saying every person has a craving. Every person has a sense of what am I missing? The fear of missing out that predates social media, FOMO, that was happening way back in Pascal's day, and it has been happening um, throughout human history. This quote is where um, we get the phrase, God-shaped vacuum. You may have heard of that. Pascal actually didn't say God-shaped vacuum, but he did say this, that in every heart, there's something that only God can fill, and that is the source of fullness. In Orange County, Southern California, I was looking for this. I didn't see that there was a motto from, like, the Board of Tourism, a motto for Orange County. But if Orange County had a county motto, I think it would be something like life to the fullest. Orange County, Southern California. Because we can, we can pursue our careers and success here. And we can live in family-friendly neighborhoods. 
or we can choose the up-and-coming hipster neighborhood if we want to. We can have great schools and activities for our kids. We can have beaches. We can have mountains. We can enjoy culture and food to the fullest, but also we can stay fit and be healthy. We can go on hikes and do tours of breweries, in other words, yeah. Life can be full of all these good things. Life can be full of all these options. But still, even in Orange County, you can have that sense. Am I missing out? Why is my gauge still empty at times? Pascal says we can't enjoy anything if we look to those things to fill us. That nothing can fill us except God. And this filling, Colossians says, happens through Jesus. Through what he has done for us and what we have in him. So overarching theme of Colossians, this is, this is a little bit of an introduction to the whole letter. Here are some of the main themes. To be full, to live life to the fullest, we don't need to supplement to Jesus and the gospel. We need to be more full of Jesus and the gospel. That's the theme Paul will develop in this letter. Or another way to put it, when Jesus is truly first, life is truly full. If you're a math person, if you love formulas, you may have heard, um, heard this before, but another way to describe this is Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Those are the themes of the letter to the Colossians. And Paul introduces this theme of fullness right here in this prayer, right at the start of the letter. He says, to start off, I want to share with you this prayer that I've been praying for you constantly ever since I heard you embraced the Christian faith. I've been praying this for you. This whole prayer in verses 9 through 11, if you look at it one more time in your bulletin or in your Bible, is one sentence. It's very rich. It's very dense. You would not want to diagram this sentence in like English class, but let's try to figure out the logic of this prayer to see how it all fits together. Main subject and verb is in verse 9. If you look at verse 9, and that's Paul saying, I am constantly praying this for you, that you'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Filled with the knowledge of God's will. God's will here is his overall purposes and plans for the, for the world. And that you would have the wisdom, he says, and the insight to know how does God's will apply to the specific circumstances and situations and choices in my life. He says that I want to fill you so that, verse 10, that you might walk, in other words, that you might live in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus and be fully pleasing to him. Be filled so that you'd be fully pleasing. This is a prayer for life to the fullest in Jesus. In the rest of the prayer, if you look at it again, verses 10 through 14, we learn more about what life to the fullest is and how it works. So I'm going to focus on verses 10 through 14 and these things that Paul says, I'm specifically and constantly praying for you. We're going to take them one at a time. The first thing that Paul prays is that their lives would show the signs, the signs of life to the fullest. What does life to the fullest look like? How do I know when I'm living it? How do I know when I see it in the lives of other people? He says, 
The signs are fruitfulness, bearing fruit and growth, increasing in the knowledge of God. These are the signs that you're full of life and that you're healthy. These two things, bearing fruit and increasing or growing, they're a package deal. Last week, Pastor Eric C., Pastor E.C., he preached on the prayer before this when Paul was giving thanks, and he mentioned these same two things in that prayer, bearing fruit and increasing. They go together. In verse 6, Paul said the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing in you and in all the world. The idea is that when the gospel fills a community, when the gospel fills a church or a person, you will know it because it will bear fruit and it will grow. We have a number of ways that we can reflect on our lives, we can evaluate our lives, and we, we often do this. We ask, how do I measure myself? How do I evaluate how I'm doing in life, whether I'm living life to the fullest? What are the signs that we use? Well, there are a number, but I want to point out a few that are the most common. One, we can look at results. We can look at the results. We measure our performance at school, look at our grades. We measure our performance at work, in our career, our titles, our salaries, parents. We can look at the results in our kids, in their achievements, in their school, in their athletic achievements, or in the arts. The sign of the full life, then, is results. If I get the right results, if I have the right results, then my life should be full, life to the fullest. The other main approach is to look to the rules, not the results. We can measure our lives by how well we are following the rules. This can be religious rules, rules of my family, rules of my subculture, rules of a political party. And we think, if I'm following the right rules, if I'm doing the right things, then life should be full. Those who aren't, their lives are empty because they're not following the right rules. Paul says the sign is fruit and growth. It's not the same thing as results, and it's not the same thing as the rules. The words Paul uses here are botanical. These are organic words, fruit, and even the word growing. That word growing is used in many places in the New Testament to describe a person growing up, a child growing up into maturity. It's used in the Gospel of Luke for Jesus as he grew up in wisdom and in stature. This is one of the main ways the Bible describes the signs of life. In John 15, Jesus says, if you bear fruit, then you will prove, you will show that you are truly my disciples. In Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, the character that shows that we are full of the gospel and full of faith and walking by faith in Jesus. There's both a comfort and a challenge here with, this, with these signs bearing fruit and increasing. The comfort is growth is gradual. In contrast to results, which we're always looking for immediate results, we're looking for our performance, fruit, growth, it can't be rushed. Fruit takes time to grow. If you want to see fruit growing on a tree, you can't sit there in front of the tree and just watch and wait. You won't see it. It takes time. We say, watch the grass grow as an idiom or a phrase to describe the most boring thing you could ever do in the entire world. And I found on YouTube this week, there is a 10-hour video, have you seen this, where you can actually watch grass grow over 10 hours. 
I'm not going to ask you if you've watched that video because that would just be too embarrassing for you to have to raise your hand. Real spiritual growth, it takes time. It's slow, way slower than we want it to be. So be encouraged. God is at work when we don't see it. It's also comforting because growth is organic. Growth can't be forced like the rules approach. If you just follow the rules externally, life will be okay. Life will be full. You can't tape fruit to a tree. You can't staple fruit to a tree. If you hang upside down, it won't make you taller despite what you may have heard. Fruit grows naturally from a healthy tree that's nourished and well watered. So we don't try to fake or force growth. It won't last. It won't lead to a changed and full life. Paul is saying here, it's the gospel that bears fruit and brings growth. It happens naturally. You don't have to force it. That's the comfort, but there's also a challenge here. Growth is gradual. Growth is also organic, but growth is also inevitable. If a tree is healthy and nourished, it will bear fruit. If we aren't bearing fruit of good works and growing closer in our relationship with God, then we have to ask, well, then what am I filled with? If fruit isn't produced, we don't enjoy the assurance that we're Christians. Not saying that we're not Christians, but we won't have the assurance and the signs that we are. There's a cycle here that Paul is praying. The cycle goes like this. The more that you know God, the more that you will obey God. The more that you will know God, the more that you will obey God. And the cycle continues. And the challenge is, it's not just enough to know God, it's not just enough to obey God, but to engage ourselves in that cycle. N.T. Wright says, holiness fuels understanding, and understanding fuels holiness. It's that cycle. But it's the inevitable cycle of growth. Growth is inevitable, it's also reproducible. When the gospel fills a person and a community, it bears fruit. What's the purpose of fruit? It's to reproduce the tree or the plant or the flower. Our good works, our knowing God, it's not just for ourselves, but it's in order that other people might be drawn to Jesus and know him and bear fruit. Something else about this that many scholars point out, that we hear in these two things, bearing fruit and growing, we hear echoes of Genesis. We hear echoes of Genesis 1. We hear echoes of the purpose for which humanity was created by God in the first place. In Genesis, it says we were made to be fruitful and multiply. And many scholars see that Paul is picking up that language here. To be fruitful in every good work and to grow in knowing God. That's a, the recovery for the purpose for which we were made. And that's why it's the most reliable sign of what life to the fullest looks like. It's the sign of life to the fullest. Paul prays for them, constantly for this. But where do we look for strength when we're not showing those signs? When we feel empty and not full, we're not bearing fruit. And that's the second thing that Paul prays here. He says, I'm praying for strength for you, that you would know life to the fullest, that you'd be full of the knowledge of God and live a fully pleasing life. If you look at what he says, he says, I'm praying that you would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. This is one of the most power-packed statements really in all the Bible. One of the commentators, Doug Moo, says you could paraphrase it 
like this. Strengthened by God with the greatest strength imaginable. What Paul is saying is that life to the fullest is possible because it's empowered by God's strength, the greatest strength imaginable. And it shows us a few things. One, it shows us where to look for strength. This part of the prayer shows us to live the life we were made to live to the fullest. We need to ask ourselves, where am I looking for strength? Paul prays, I'm praying that you would be strengthened, being strengthened. There is a world of difference between being strengthened and being strong. One is in the passive voice. One is in the active voice. The strength Paul is praying that they would experience doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from within us, but it comes from outside of us. And here we see the great gulf in Christianity with all other approaches to life, with all other versions of life to the fullest. All other approaches say it's the strong who know life to the fullest, and it's the weak who are empty. The strong who achieve, who earn, who win, they get life to the full. Those who fail, those who stumble, those who lose, they miss out. The gospel says it's the opposite. Only those who embrace and admit and own their weakness and look for strength from without will find life to the fullest. 1 Corinthians 1, another letter that the apostle Paul wrote, he says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing to things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This is the essence of Christianity, that we might boast in the strength that is found in God. It's where we look for strength. This prayer also shows us where strength is most needed. Paul says he's praying for this greatest strength imaginable so that they would have all endurance and all patience. Endurance and patience. As I was studying this, I was uh, surprised to see that all the commentators were agreeing there are two different things that Paul has in mind here when he prays this prayer. Endurance, that's for handling difficult circumstances. Patience is for handling difficult people. As Paul's praying this prayer, he knows that in hard situations and relationships, God is often showing us that it's our strength is not enough. But his strength for us in Jesus is abundant and sufficient. Just to speak to my Christian friends for a moment, when, when do we struggle the most? to believe that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is sufficient for us. Isn't it when we face difficulties, trials, suffering, hard circumstances, or when we're in the midst of dealing with difficulty in, in a relationship, in a close relationship that we have? When we look at our circumstances and we say, this isn't life to the fullest, But because of Jesus, Paul is saying, and in Jesus, God's strength 
His mighty resurrection power is available to us to endure and to be patient. And there's a total shift of mindset that Paul is asking us to have here. He's saying fullness is not found somewhere else where life is easy and where relationships are easy. Fullness is found right in the middle of our hardest circumstances and in our difficult relationships. Often when we're in the middle of something hard, you might be in the middle of a hard circumstance right now or dealing with a difficult relationship. What do we pray? We often pray, God, change the circumstance. God, change that person. And what Paul's praying is something different. It's not wrong to pray those prayers. But he says, focus your prayers on asking God for strength to endure. Focus your prayers on asking God for strength to be patient. And it's there, right there, that you will experience life to the fullest in Jesus. Wow. It's challenging, but very encouraging. How do we know? Some of you um, may feel like you're naturally a patient person. I've talked to a lot of people. I've thought this myself. I've thought, I, I, thought I, I thought I was a patient person. I used to be a patient person, but then I had kids. So for you who are parents, or maybe when you got married, I thought I was so patient. But what happened when I got married? And sometimes we can just grit our teeth and get through it. But Paul is talking about something very different than that. He says, for all patience and endurance with joy. When we're relying on our own strength and we're trying to endure difficult things, we can grit our teeth, we can get through it, we become bitter, we can become angry, but we do it. Paul says, when you're relying on God's strength, somehow, by his incredible power, unimaginably, you have joy. Joy in hard circumstances. Joy, even in working through difficult situations in your relationships. There can be joy knowing God is at work foremost and first in you through it. The signs of life to the fullest, the strength for life to the fullest. Lastly, Paul shares the secret of life to the fullest in verses 12 through 14. Probably going to sound very simple and not very exciting to you when I tell you the secret. It's right there in those verses, but Paul says, how can my life show the signs of fullness more and more? How can I be strengthened for the hardest trials and the hardest situations in my relationships? Here is the secret. He says it's giving thanks. Giving thanks. It seems too simple. But think about it like this. What happens when we don't give thanks? Sometimes we think, it's either giving thanks or it's just kind of like going throughout life in the neutral zone. But it's not a choice between giving thanks or not giving thanks. It's a choice between thanksgiving and the opposites of thanksgiving. What is the opposite of giving thanks, of thanksgiving? It could be many things. We could say it's coveting what other people have, the lives of other people. It could be complaining, criticizing, or comparing. These things criticizing, complaining, comparing. These are the things that drain us of life and empty us of life. 
For the opposite of a regular habit or discipline of giving thanks are the regular habits of complaining or coveting or criticizing. Those things erode our ability to see what God is doing in our lives and in the lives of others. Because though we usually think these things are directed at other people or my circumstances, the perspective of giving thanks shows us these things are ultimately directed towards God. It's what we are saying to God is that what, what I have is not enough. What Jesus has done and is doing in me and in other people and in the world, that's not enough and that's not good enough. And that drains us. And that empties us of the fullness we are meant to have in Jesus. Paul goes on and he shows us what specifically we are to give thanks for so that we might be filled up. This giving thanks that Paul has in mind is not maybe what first comes to mind for us when we think about Thanksgiving, the word Thanksgiving. Think about the holiday and the list of things we often give thanks for over the Thanksgiving table. Thank you that we have food. Thank you that we have a house. Thank you that we have good health, those kinds of things. Those things are important. And the regular discipline of giving thanks for those things actually scientifically has been proven to change our mindset and to help with our attitude. But what Paul has in mind is something even more powerful. And I think we can miss it sometimes because of the English word that we use, thanksgiving or giving thanks. The original word in the original language in, in the Greek is eucharisteo. And right there in the middle of eucharisteo is the word charis, which is grace. Grace is always right in the middle of thanksgiving. Grace is what saves us from an entitlement mentality. God, why don't I have what I deserve? Because the essence of grace is a gift that we receive that we don't deserve. Some other languages preserve that connection, like Spanish. In Spanish, the word for grace is gracia, and for thanks is gracias. Paul is saying here, the secret to living life to the fullest is gracias. Regular, deep, gracias or grace. How do we get filled up with the gospel? How do we get filled up with Jesus when we feel empty, like we feel like we're missing someone, something or something in life? We rehearse and we remember what God has done for us and what we have in Jesus. Over and over again, deeper and deeper, we pray that into the circumstances of our lives. Grace. That Jesus took what I deserve, so I get what he deserves. That's what Paul's describing in these rich pictures that he's piling up here at the end of the prayer. He says, let's give thanks for our Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance. That means that though we were once disqualified, that Jesus was treated as disqualified in our place so that we receive the inheritance that he deserves and that we don't. Paul says, give thanks because he has delivered us. He's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Jesus was delivered over to death, the death that we deserve, so that we could be delivered into life, into his kingdom. We are given his identity as a beloved son or daughter of the father. He says, give thanks because in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
that although in my rebellion against God, I deserve the slavery that I choose to sin, the payment and the penalty of my sin. Jesus says, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. So my penalty is paid, my enslavement, the power of sin is broken. And that is what I have in Jesus. Paul says giving thanks, that's a secret. Giving thanks for all that has been done for us, all that we have in Jesus. Not about what I've done, not about what I haven't done, but what God has done and what we have in Jesus. So let me wrap it up with a recap. To be full, to live life to the fullest, we don't need to supplement to Jesus and the gospel. We need to be more full of Jesus and the gospel. When Jesus is truly first, Paul says life is truly full. Our lives will bear fruit and grow in the knowledge of God. We'll have strength for joyful endurance and patience as we give thanks for what Jesus has done and all that we have in him by faith. Just want to close with one concluding application. It's the obvious one that's here at the beginning of the text, and that is, this is a prayer. And so the obvious application here is Paul is saying, thinking about this is not enough. Is trying hard to do this on our own is not enough. This kind of life of fullness, it only happens through prayer. Through regularly in a discipline, in a habit of interacting with God over these things and filling ourselves with the gospel. So Paul is saying, I'm constantly praying this for you. So here's the application. Here's the assignment that I want to give you this week, and you can carry it on further. We all need to be praying this for at least one other person in our life. We need to be praying this for them, and we need to have somebody in our lives, praying this for us. Think of that person. Who can you be praying this for? Who can be praying this for you? Let's close. I want to pray this for all of us in closing. Heavenly Father, this morning as we come, various places, feeling full, feeling not full, struggling with the question of whether we're missing out on something. I pray you would meet us powerfully with this passage, with the truths in this text. I pray that we would follow that yearning and that desire for life to the fullest right where you tell us to where it's found in Jesus. And I pray that if we're facing, for those who are facing particular difficult circumstances and trials, who are in the midst of a very difficult relationship, that you would bring your strength and your mighty power for joyful endurance and patience. And teach us to be thankful. Fill us up, our minds, our hearts, our souls. May we never tire of rehearsing and remembering all that you have done for us in all that we have in your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Would you stand? We're going to close with a...